Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Lots of fun stuff ahead today. Uh, Not talking about tennis, but covering some of the big news stories. And also, I want to talk about the Olympics because 365 days from now, God willing, uh, the 2020, I think they're still calling it, the 2020 Olympics will commence in Tokyo. Now, yes, it will be 2021. My understanding is that they will be calling it the 2020 Olympics. It is terribly confusing, but I believe that's the decision that was made. And uh, the the important part is that there will be Olympic tennis again, knock on wood, about a year from now. So I want to talk about the Olympics. I think that it, it plays a, a really big role. It's playing a really big role right now. Uh, Madrid has been canceled. We'll get to that at the end. Um, a quick shout out before I really get started to World Team Tennis, which... Uh, Ended on Sunday in epic fashion, championship points for both the New York Empire and the Chicago Fire at the same time, and Coco Vandeweghe hit a forehand return winner. The New York Empire are champions, but uh, a shout out to Carlos Silva, the CEO of World Team Tennis, for uh, showing that tennis can be done safely in a bubble, and uh, it's been a a good uh, spectacle, and I'm interested to see how much maybe this uh, this couple weeks could I guess lift world team tennis's popularity I'm not I'm not sure I, I haven't decided I don't have a take either way but uh, that will be interesting to see but we start with the big news from last weekend which is uh, Nick Kyrgios. he's dropped out of the US Open he is out he posted this video on uninterrupted dear tennis let's take a breath here and remember what's important which is health and safety as a community. We can rebuild our sport and the economy, but we can never recover lives lost. I've got no problem with the USTA putting on the US Open. And if players want to go, that's up to them. So long as everyone acts appropriately and acts safely, no one wants people to keep their jobs more than me. I'm speaking for the guy who works in the restaurant, the cleaners, the locker room attendants. These are the people that need their jobs back the most and fair play to them. But tennis players, you have to act in the interests of each other and work together. You can't be dancing on tables, money grabbing your way around Europe or trying to make a quick buck hosting an exhibition. That's just so selfish. Think of the other people for once. That's what this virus is about. It doesn't care about your world ranking or how much money you have. Act responsibly. To those players that have been observing the rules and acting selflessly, I say good luck to you. Play your own risk, and I have no problem with that. 
I will not be playing this year at the US Open. It hurts me at my core not to be out there competing in one of the sport's greatest arenas, Arthur Ashe Stadium. But I'm sitting out for the people, for my Aussies, for the hundreds and thousands of Americans who have lost their lives, for all of you. It's my decision, like it or not. And those are my reasons. Yours sincerely, Nick. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, and and just bear with me. I'll get to all of it. But I just want to start with the end, which is the the reasoning why he has elected to uh, not travel to New York. And I'm going to be honest. I don't find his communication to be particularly clear. What I mean by that is, for example, his countrywoman, Ash Barty, said, uh, quote, there are still significant risks involved due to COVID-19, and I don't feel comfortable putting my team and I in that position. Clearly, she's concerned about personal health risks and and uh, that of her team, and that is why she has chosen not to travel. But Nick says it's for the people, and I'm not really 100% sure what that means. What I think he's trying to say is that he wants to set what he believes is the right example for everyone. But what's happened here throughout this pandemic is a lot of people have questioned Nick Kyrgios' commentary. It's nothing new, but he doesn't have much of a filter. He speaks his mind. And what comes with that is uh, Nick Kyrgios is going to sound off sometimes. And he's been very consistent throughout the pandemic that... You know, he's been calling out behavior that is per- that is risky, irresponsible. He has, throughout this entire uh, four or five months, he's questioned the U.S. Open's decision to go ahead. And what has followed from that is a lot of people questioning the messenger. Borna Chorich here questions the messenger. Now, the way this all came about is Borna Chorich did an interview. The interviewer asked him about Nick Kyrgios' previous comments about the Adria tour, and Chorich said, I don't really care what Nick Kyrgios has to say at all. Of course, Nick responded and said, well, you should care because what I'm saying is correct. And that's where Borna tweets this. He says, really, Nick Kyrgios, you're preaching about behavior, bored much or too much wine? The main part of that Borna Chorich tweet and the main part of what he said to the to the interviewer is that Nick Kyrgios has no right to have an opinion about anything. It's pretty much what he's saying or about behavior, right? Because Nick Kyrgios was criticizing and he's been very consistent throughout this entire uh, pandemic. He's been very consistent with his thoughts where he feels that that people need to be taking this very, very seriously. He's criticizing behavior here, right? And Borna Torich is saying that Nick Kyrgios doesn't have the right to do that. Can I just address that notion right now, right here? Nick Kyrgios's record off the court is pristine. It's as good as it gets. He has shown time and time again consistently that he is a good human being. And that when it comes to off-the-court matters, he's got just as good a right as anybody. And and let me, I'm not just going to say that. I'm going to back it up, okay? In 2017, Hurricane Maria hit the shores of Puerto Rico. Nick donated 50 bucks per ace for the rest of the 2017 season after that hurricane hit. 50 bucks every ace goes towards the relief efforts. 
At 22 years old, Kyrgios creates the NK Foundation. He said at the time, quote, if my vision is realized, it's my hope that I'll be remembered for this more than anything I have done or will do on the tennis court. At the 2018 Australian Open, Nick spent time hitting with children who are battling disease or those who are family members supporting their sick loved ones. At the 2018 Miami Open, Nick hit with children from Stoneman Douglas High School's tennis team, the school that felt victim to a horrific mass shooting earlier that year. Most recently, the Australian Open. Nick led the way. Nick pledged to donate $200 to bushfire relief for every ace he hit. He raised over $90,000. That guy is not good enough to criticize you. You're above that guy because he loses his temper on court because he's abused chair umpires during matches. I don't condone his conduct. I don't condone abusing chair umpires. But off the court, let us not forget. Let us not forget Nick Kyrgios's record off the court. You can't refute. Borna Chorich can't refute or attack the things Nick Kyrgios is saying. So he attacks his character instead. I'm going to call Bush League on that. I'm going to call BS on that. So I just wanted to get that out there. And I'm not... I don't mean to attack Borna Chorich here. I'm saying just blanket statement. If we want to think, if we want to say that Nick Kyrgios can't have an opinion about the world, that is wild stuff. Wild stuff. That is so, that is so far off from the case. Nick Kyrgios is allowed to have an opinion about the world. He would, look, if Nick Kyrgios calls a guy out for ball abuse or verbal abuse or racket abuse, eh. Not so much. Can't do that. But he can have an opinion about the world. Now, uh, bringing it to the tennis part of this, uh, I don't think Nick would have had any chance in a no-crowd environment. I think he feeds off of environment. And I wouldn't I wouldn't um, think that his ability to self-motivate would be very high in this situation. So I, I wouldn't have thought that he's much of a threat at the U.S. Open. I don't think it has much tennis implications. I don't think he's been playing that much tennis. If I were to guess, I don't think he's probably in the best of shape right now. N now, he's so talented that sometimes the, it makes up for his physical conditioning. But uh, at the end of the day, we're not going to see a laser-focused Nick Kyrgios with no crowd. And that'll be interesting to see. We'll see some players you know, thrive in that environment, benefit from that environment. We'll see others not so much. And I, I really don't think Nick Kyrgios would have been the guy. Moving on to the Olympics. As I said at the top, they will start 365 days from now in 2021, God willing. This one, this was something I was really looking forward to in 2020. Really looking forward to. Because in all likelihood, the next Olympics will be the last big three Olympics. Certainly it would be difficult to imagine Roger Federer making it until 2024. I'm sure people obviously said that in 2016, about 2020. But I will say it again. And uh, I'm, let's see. <laughs> I don't think I'll be eating my words. But uh, there's a lot of significance, I think, for for all three um, of, uh, of the big three members here. I mean, for Nadal, I think it's a major part of his legacy, how well he has played for his country. 
and he can distinguish himself, right? He would have an opportunity here. Again, 2024 is a far way out. Nadal, uh, Federer, Djokovic, as I'll get to in a moment, they don't have singles gold medals. If Nadal were to win in Tokyo, he could distinguish himself as the only big three member with singles gold, and he would have two after winning Beijing in 2008. I mean, Nadal's a four-time Davis Cup champion with a 29-1 overall record in Davis Cup single, singles play. It's absurdity. And it, it really kick-started his career against Andy Roddick in 2004 in Seville. And he's got two golds, not one, right? Because he won doubles with Mark Lopez in, uh, in Rio 2016. So it's big for Nadal. It's something he always relishes. Again, I think it's part of Nadal's legacy of how well he plays for his country. Federer, the last one, and you don't really need to say all that much more than that. Uh, he does have a gold medal with uh, doubles with Vavrinka in uh, 2008, but he's still missing that singles gold. But the main person I want to talk about here is Novak Djokovic, because I believe for Novak, the Olympics are his biggest motivation right now. I really do. Novak said earlier another Instagram live with Andy Murray, who would have thought it would come out uh, twice on, on one show. Djokovic told Andy that the two losses in his career that he would go back and change are against Nadal, Beijing 2008, and Murray in London 2012. And I also vividly remember when he lost to Del Potro in Rio 2016. And I do believe he, he had an injury in that match. But still, I remember he was tearful leaving the court. It clearly meant a whole lot to him. And then he he did kind of have a, that was kind of the start of his hangover. Latter stages of 2016, 2017. That was kind of the start. Perhaps a, a dip in motivation that, that we see so often after you fail to achieve, or even if you uh, succeed in achieving a major goal. Novak's record is 9-4 and four in Olympic singles play. It's way subpar for, for his standard. And we know how much he cares about playing for his country, and it's the only accomplishment that has eluded him. Quite literally, you can take every Masters title and none have eluded him, which is insane. He has every major and he has Davis Cup titles. Novak played the Tokyo 500 event last year for the first time in his career. One of two sub-Masters level tournaments he participated in. The first one was just to get some tennis in before Australia and Doha. And that was the first tournament back after his shoulder injury in New York. Come on. We all knew why he played that tournament. He played that tournament to get a feel for Tokyo, for that venue, for those courts. The power of motivation is not to be sneezed at. We saw it for Andy Murray and trying to win Wimbledon. We saw it as Novak and Roger chased the French Open. And I believe the Olympics are what's pushing Novak forward at this moment. I, and I think he, he shoulders more pressure than the other two heading into Tokyo 2020. And I was really looking forward to seeing how he handled this. And uh, now we'll have to wait another year. But to me, uh, Federer, uh, you know, all three of them have their individual, really intriguing storylines. But I really do think it means a ton for Djokovic. And that's why everyone knows if you want to get ready for a season, if you want to set yourself up for a really good calendar year, it all starts with that offseason. 
It all starts with how seriously you take your training in the offseason. Djokovic come, came out like he was shot out of a cannon in 2020, didn't lose a match going, you know, heading into Indian Wells, which got canceled. Undefeated 22-0. 23-0, 0 something like that. Uh, but Djokovic undefeated going into Indian Wells. I thoroughly believe that when he was training in the offseason, it was the Olympics at the forefront of his mind that was pushing him so hard. And I think it's a big reason why he was playing so well. We end the show with uh, Madrid. Madrid has been canceled. It was set to take place after the U.S. Open, but no more. The Mutua Madrid Open released this statement, uh, quote, in the last meeting on the 29th of July, due to the increase in cases of COVID-19 in Madrid, in recent days, the organizers of the Mutua Madrid Open stated their concerns about being able to stage the tournament free from health complications that might affect the players, fans, and staff. In view of this situation, the organizers requested the help of Antonio Zapatero, Deputy Security of Public Health, and we were advised not to stage the tournament due to the current trend of COVID-19 cases. As they have throughout the entire process, in that meeting, the organizers of the Mutual Madrid Open benefited from the cooperation and help of the community of Madrid in analyzing the situation, which is unfortunately deteriorating day by day. It's really unfortunate to see, um, of course, the, the numbers in Madrid uh, spiking a bit here and the, the tournament is doing the right thing. At the end of the day, this is the key. Government and public health officials, they have to lead. They have to lead. They did not lead in Serbia when Novak Djokovic staged the Adria Tour. Government, public health officials, they need to lead. That's what's happened here. So credit to the Mutual Madrid Open for looking to the people they need to look to and getting the answers and taking action in a timely fashion too. They didn't leave players hanging, which is which is big. It could simplify the U.S. Open decision for, for some of the Spanish players. Could simplify the decision. I don't see it. I don't see it uh, being much of a factor for most of the players on tour. If you are, you know, uh, I guess if you're a, a real clay court specialist, maybe it's a factor. If you are Spanish, maybe it's a factor. But I think most players, I still feel like most players, if the EU, if the quarantine situation um, does not get in the way. So if the EU says you will not have to quarantine, upon arrival in Europe. And of course, I, I know I focus on EU. That that goes for all the other governments of every other country in the world. Okay, It's just that most players reside in the EU. Um, I do believe that if players don't have to quarantine, that they will go to New York and uh, and they, they will play. The prize money is intriguing. The will to compete um, is a factor. It is the US Open. And I do think that is what the field hinges on. It is going to be about those quarantine restrictions. So Madrid getting canceled, it might change things, but I would say minimal effect. Ultimately, it's not about the U.S. Open. It's just disheartening to see more cancellations. It's disheartening um, to see local governments saying, yeah, un unfortunately, things, uh, they use the word deteriorating day by day. Uh, that's unfortunate. And unfortunate not to end the show on a positive note, but such is the reality sometimes. Um, I will say 
There is a mailbag on Friday, which means keep an eye on the YouTube community tab. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to three, a tennis show, please do. You can go back to one of my old uh, videos. Um, I've posted episodes one through through three of three. You can go in the description. The link to the channel is right there. You can hit subscribe or you can search in YouTube three, a tennis show. You can subscribe to my show with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy about the big three. Also, please do remember that this show is available on your favorite podcast platform. The link is in the description and please do rate and subscribe. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.